Good morning, church. Please stand. Lord, we're just so grateful to be in your presence. We're humbled that you would come into the earth as one of us, that you would sacrifice yourself so that we could live with you. And Lord, we just come with expectation and thanksgiving. And we pray for your continued revelation in our lives, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare ourselves, excuse me, as we prepare prepare ourselves to uh, celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strength you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Thank you. 
Fill the atmosphere. 
may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit, lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Will you children come forward? Forward, Lord, finish for and learn about you, Lord. 
Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, commencing in verse 1. (coughs) Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our psalm this morning is Psalm 139. Let us read responsibly by the half verse. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. And laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This morning's second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Together. 
The Lord be with you. With your spirit. May the Lord be on our minds and our lips and on our hearts as we hear his holy gospel. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Lord Christ. We are reading from John's gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ.
strengthen our hearts and that we would receive everything that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So every year around this time, uh, or and even in December leading up to January, I start thinking about and asking God, God, what is 2024 going to be? And he doesn't like to tell me a lot. <laughs> Generally, uh, he speaks words that are focusing words. He, it's not like voodoo magic prediction stuff. It's like these are the things that I have for you to focus on in this year. And so I've been praying and I felt like I got a couple words. And so I brought it to the rector's council. And sure enough, as we shared, Father Powell had gotten two of the same words. And ultimately, I'm here today to share with you some of what we have been hearing from the Lord about 2024. Some things to focus on, some things to hold on to in this season, in this time as a church, as St. Michael's. I think these words are very specifically for us. Uh, I think that there's a, an element of this that has to do with the transition that we're going through as Father Powell becomes the rector, as Bishop Kessler uh, retires from that role. And it's going to be a really fun year. But there's going to be a lot going on and a lot to do. And so these words, I think, are encouraging. They're guiding. They're preparing us for what God has for us in this season. And those three words that we got were faith, unity, and joy. And today we're going to start with part one, mountain-moving faith. And we're going to walk through some of this because I think that there's, I mean, books have been written on all of these things. And so we're going to just dive in and see what God has for us this morning. And I hope that you're encouraged. I hope that this gives you some orientation as you look at your life, as you look at your job, as you look at your family. What are things that I can hold near and dear to my heart as I walk throughout this? And I guarantee you that if we as a church and in our families practice greater faith, greater unity, and greater joy this year, that we're going to see God show up in very important and special ways. Trust me when I say this, God is for St. Michael's Church in this season. He is for each and every one of you sitting in your pews. Every mountain that you're facing, every trial that you look at 2024, you look at this season, or maybe you just look at today or tomorrow or the next day and you're like, man, I don't know what to do about this. God is here. He is for you and he has your salvation. He has the answer to your problem. And as we look towards this year, I think one of the great tools, one of the great things that he wants to shape in us, he wants to make us a people of faith, of unity, and of joy. And so we're going to start with faith, like I talked about here today. Let's go ahead and go to one of, the, one of my favorite passages. In fact, the verse that God brought to mind when I thought of faith, it's in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now we know that, right? And there's the other passage says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, 
you could t- say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, and it would be done. But the context of this passage is really interesting to me. Because what happens is, Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem. We're getting closer to the time in the story where they're going to crucify him. And he begins to prophesy against Jerusalem and the religious system that has been set up and how they have lived their lives, basically calling them fruitless, barren, and that the vineyard that God had planted in Jerusalem would be given to another who would care for it and return its fruits, predicting the rise of Christianity out of Judaism. And so when you look at this and you look at this story, what happened is he's on his way into Jerusalem and he walks up to a fig tree. And he goes, there's no fruit on the fig tree. And all the disciples go, doesn't he know that it's not the season for figs? And the person who designed the entire universe is sitting there thinking, that's not the point. But he looks at this fig tree and he curses it. He said, he basically curses it and says, you'll be barren. And all the, all the disciples are like, oh man, that's unfair. That poor fig tree. But Jesus was getting at a point that was deeper than that. He was using the fig tree as the prophets had throughout the Old Testament as a picture of Israel. And calling Israel barren. And all of the other passages that Jesus uses as parables when he talks about the barren vines or the barren trees. And how you have to cut them back and throw the useless branches to the fire. All of those images are contained in this. But after they do their ministry in Jerusalem and they walk back out, the disciples see that fig tree that was healthy when they walked in. And it's withered in a day. It's completely rotted. And they're like, what? What? And Jesus is like, guys, guys, didn't you see me feed 4,000 people? Didn't you see me calm the storms? These are the stories that lead up to this story. The great miracles of Jesus and their, their minds are blown about the fig tree. And so this is Jesus' response. Have faith in God. What's he saying? He's saying, if you had faith in God, you would have expected the fig tree to be barren. Because I said so. So he's calling to them their attention and he's trying to teach them what faith really means. And so when he says, move them, you could tell there's a mountain to go into the sea. You could almost feel that, that, that Jesus is like giving them something that is like, you, you, I want you to understand this. I'm going to use hyperbole here. I'm going to use some exaggeration here to get your attention. I'm going to give you an image so absurd to show you the reality of what faith can do. And to this day, we know faith has done far greater things than throw mountains into the sea. People have been raised from the dead. Dead hearts have come alive. People who were destined for eternity in hell have been saved by the power of Jesus and have gone to heaven. We have seen the blind see, the deaf hear, the dumb speak. And he wanted them to know that it wasn't about him. Now, this is a little complicated here because, of course, everything's about Jesus. But what he wanted them to know is the reason the fig tree is barren is because I have faith in my heavenly father. Because you know Jesus isn't walking around like Superman with all these abilities and just like zap, 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 zap. You see, you speak, you do this. 
No, he, when he became in the form of man, emptied himself of his God attributes that he could be human like we are human. All of that so that we could be human like he was human. All of that to invite us to have the same faith. He didn't say, if you're Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you can tell the mountain to move. He said, if you have faith like Jesus did, you can tell the mountain to move. And so when we talk about faith, he wants, the reason he's emphasizing this is because he's inviting them to live on earth the way he lives. To walk in faith, knowing that God will provide. You know, all the disciples had faith that God existed. What they were being challenged to believe, just like us, is that God would act in that moment with his power. Everyone in this room knows, yeah, God exists, he created the whole world, and yet we don't believe that he will act in our lives. We're shocked when he does miracles. Yeah, well, he created everything that is, and he loves you dearly, and he's for you. He's going to move on your behalf. We should have faith that not only believes for miracles, but looks for miracles. God, where are you moving that I don't see? That's faith. So when we talk about these things, the challenge is not do you believe in God, but do you believe God? Because God has said that he will move. He has promised his Holy Spirit. He has promised his life-giving abundance. Do you believe him? Believing in God, it says in another passage, even the demons believe in God and they fear and tremble. But believing God, trusting his word, that is faith. Our Old Testament lesson was about developing the faith of one of the hero prophets, Samuel, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And in 1 Samuel in 3, and we, looked, we read through this passage, he's a young boy who has been dedicated to the temple because his mother received a promise about him. I'm not going to get into that whole story. Great story. He's chosen to serve God in a time when it said in our scripture, right, that the word of God was rare. There was no general revelation. It was a barren time. In fact, more than that, the passage before shows us it was an evil time where the people who were ministering in the temple were taking advantage of the Israelites. It was it was atrocious what was going on. And yet God was focused on this one man, this young boy, Samuel, who's living in Eli's temple, in God's temple with Eli, the priest. And what happens, of course, you know, the story, he's sleeping and he hears his name. So he runs to Eli and he says, hey, I'm here. What's up? How can I help? I heard you call me. And Eli's like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And then he gets back up. He says, no, I heard it again. You called me. And then he sends it back to bed. It's the third time I heard it again. You called me. And Eli's like, oh, that might be God. The word of the Lord was rare in that time. Even the priest in the temple had to send the kid to bed three times before he thought maybe God is involved. Right? And so in this case, we think about this, and that's actually how God structures our lives and our growth, right? We know that as children, the way that we learn to hear the voice of God is through the voice of our parents. 
And so Samuel's been entrusted to his father, Father Eli, the priest, right? It's not his biological father, but has taken the role of his father. And the reason why he thought God's voice sounded like Eli's is because he was paying attention. God teaches us how to hear God through the authority that he places in our life from children and even, I will argue, through today. Do you think that you can ignore the authority God's placed in your life and be sensitive to God's leadership? I think a lot of us fall into the same trap that our kids might fall into. I know for a fact that me, as a 12-year-old boy, probably would have just rolled over and gone to sleep even if I heard my father calling me. Imagine if that was Samuel's response. Samuel! Ah, no, I don't want to do it. Go back to sleep. Second time, Samuel, I'm I'm just going to sleep. Samuel! And then he misses what God does. But if he, like he did, this young kid, I'm imagining he's like 12 years old from the context, right? He's somewhere in there, somewhere between 10 and 12, somewhere. And imagine if that young kid had been a disobedient son. He wouldn't have heard the voice of God. In the same way, we ignore the authority God's put in our life and expect that we'll be sensitive to his voice. He trains us to hear him through the authority he puts in our life. And then Eli finally realizes that God is speaking and he gives him the perfect response. When you hear the voice say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I love that response. That's the response we should all have towards God because it says three things. It says, you are the Lord, you are God, and this Lord, I mean, it's Yahweh. It's like the king of all, the, it's God's name. You are who you are. I am your servant. So you've established some things. I think sometimes we approach God like, God, why aren't you doing this thing for me? Or we could say, God, I am your servant. And then lastly, it says, speak, I am listening. And he postures himself correctly before the Lord. The faith and the obedience that is being developed in Samuel in this story is the same faith and the obedience that later will lead him to anoint King David, even though there's a murderous tyrant on the throne who's already angry at Samuel for saying the kingdom's been taken from you. But no, he knew because he paid attention since he was a young boy to the voice of the Lord. He knew to follow that voice, even though God eventually is going to tell him to do things that could get him killed. So God in this story is developing his faith, which is linked directly to his obedience. And that's the next thing I want to talk about in Romans chapter something or other, verse 16. I think I put, is this Romans? Hold on. I'm lost on this one. Somewhere in the Bible it says this. It's actually in Romans. I just don't have the chapter. Paul writes in verse 16. That's the wrong one. This is chapter 4, back, I think. 4 verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we all know that, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's thrown around quite a lot. We know that that's a central idea in faith. But I love including that verse before. 
But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, who has believed us? And in the midst of this passage, Paul is talking about faith, faith, faith. And then all of a sudden he says, the evidence that they didn't have faith is that they didn't obey. And he doesn't clarify. He doesn't say, so I know because they didn't obey that they probably didn't have faith. No, it's like obedience and faith are the same thing. You can't do one without the other. And so what Samuel did well when he heard the voice of God is he went and said, hey, what do I, I'm here. He was ready to obey. James has this perfect example, right? In verse 2, beginning in verse 15. I know we have this one. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith is obedience. They are tied together. Imagine this scenario. I come to you. You're doing pretty well financially. You're doing great. I got to say that because that's the assumption in this passage. And I say, hey, I don't have clothing for my children or food for groceries this week. And you say, in Jesus' name, I pray for warmth and I pray for fullness. And then you walk away. How much love did you show me in that moment? Now, I have another example that I think is going to hit home a little further. Imagine you're in a weight room and somebody is lifting, uh, bench pressing some weight and they get stuck. They say, hey man, help me out. All you have to do is walk over there and help them out. You, it's within your power and yet what you say is, hey, I'll be praying for you. Then you walk away. That's what James is talking about. We can get lost like, man, I'd have to give them money for groceries and I have to do all this food stuff. It's like, don't get lost in that. He's saying it's the intention without the action is dead. There is no intention. Obviously, you don't want to help. Your, your works have shown that. So when you're talking about faith, we're talking about obedience. It's hear and obey. That's the equation of faith. Hear and obey. Faith is not some conjured emotion. Ooh, I got so much faith right now. I can feel the faith in the room. It's like, no, 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 no. No, faith is active. It's a part of what you do. Now, you might feel the burden of that. In fact, Jordan Peterson has this whole video where somebody asked him if he believed in God. And he said, I don't know what that means. Because if I believed in God, I'd have to act like it. And he just felt the burden of that so sincerely. He couldn't say, like, he's like looking at my life. It doesn't look like I believe in God. I mess up all the time. If I truly believed in what it meant for God to exist, who have created the world, who had sent his son, who died for us, I would have to live so differently. And so he wrestled with that. But I think I, think, I want to touch on the other side. I think it actually solves our problem. Because I think a lot of us look at other people and are like, man, that guy has a lot of faith. That girl has a lot of faith. I could never have faith like that. And we're talking about our feelings. We're talking about how we feel about what God's doing. 
Instead, it's like God told me to do this. I don't feel good about it, but I did it anyway. That's faith. Faith is not a feeling. God said, give the $100 in your pocket to the guy on the side of the road, but he's a panhandler, but he's doing this, but he's doing that. But you have all these questions, you have all these doubts, and you just, you know, just give him the money and then you drive away. That's faith. You did what God told you to do. It doesn't have to feel good. Now, let me make a little bit of uh, adjustment here. I do think that when you start to operate in faith, you start to train your spirit in discernment. And you start to see, oh, this is God. And it starts to line up and you start to understand. And it's not a feeling, though. It's a part of training your spirit. It's a tool. It's a discipline. It's a gift of God in your spirit that you're able to discern. This is what it feels like when God speaks. And even though I don't want to do it, maybe my feelings are still revolting. I know when to act on it. Like Samuel, that young boy, he was just now learning how to hear God in this story. But someday he would have to be able to hear God in the midst of a war, in the midst of a battle. He'd have to hear God when people were out to kill him. But he had to start small, just doing what God said. Now, if you're doing these things, you have great faith. I want to talk about Abraham. He's the father of faith. I've got to call him out, right? And it says that he believed God. He got this promise. You're going to be a father. Like biologically, you're going to have kids with your wife, Sarah. It's going to happen. And he just sat there and he faced real hard. He's just like, ooh, I believe it. No, that's not what faith is. He did something about it. It says every month he believed God. He obeyed God. He knew his wife. That's all I'm going to say about it. He did something every month. Every day in and day out to believe God for that miracle. Even though his wife was laughing at God. Talk about faith. To, to, like, I'm not going to spell it out anymore. But just think about how much faith it would take when you're that old to continue trying to have a baby with your wife. When she doesn't even believe it. He had faith. He obeyed, even when it didn't feel good. Okay, now, here's, a, here's, a, here's some principles to think about, right? Let's say God told you you're going to get a job. So you should sit around and pray really hard and face your way into a job. No. What should you do? Apply for jobs. God told you you're going to get a wife. I'm going to sit around. I'm going to face really hard. I'm going to build up my faith. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to read every verse in the Bible about women. I'm going to get a wife. No, you're going to go on dates. You're going to meet women. They're the only candidates. Go find them. I'm just saying, God told you that you're going to be the leader in the church. Find ways to start serving in your church. Because just like faith means obedience, leadership means service. God told you he's going to give you a house. So I'm going to spend all my money because God's just going to give me a house. No. Start looking for a house. Start preparing your finances for a house. Believe in God. In this area, it is a miracle like throwing a mountain into the sea to get a house. But God said he'll do it. So faith is action. Faith is obedience. Faith is embodied. 
the greatest faith we've ever seen, got crucified. What kind of faith is that? To not open your mouth to say, I'm innocent. When the whole world, even the people you knew and loved, have abandoned you. The people you healed and preached to. The people you loved, Israel, are calling you a liar, a blasphemer, and calling for your death. That's Jesus' faith. Faith is obedience. Now, one more thing about faith. I don't want to lose the fact that faith is more than obedience. Because the Pharisees were really good at obedience, putting it in air quotes, to the law. But they didn't have faith. They didn't believe in the God of the scriptures and they didn't recognize him when he showed up in Jesus. They did all the things for the wrong reasons. It's like there's several examples you could use, but just imagine, I'll use one from the Pharisees, right? They would do this thing where God said, don't have sex with anybody who's not your wife. And they would divorce their wife, marry the girl that they wanted to have sex with, have sex with her, divorce her, and go marry their wife again. There's a story of that happening. Like, they followed the law. They had no faith. They didn't have the heart, the spirit behind the law. They didn't see what God was saying. What faith does is it keeps everything you do, all of your obedience, centered on Jesus. It's about the focus of your attention. It's about believing that it's by his strength and not by your own. Right? Because otherwise, you can be the best person in the world so that you can feel like the best person in the world. I did all the right things, and so everybody should praise me. Everybody should love me. That's not the point. You missed it. And I will tell you this, too. They weren't hearing. Remember that whole part where faith, the equation is hear and obey? They weren't hearing God's voice. All of this should be convicting to us. The Pharisees mastered the system. They went to church. They volunteered. They signed up for all the events. They went to a home group. They prayed loudly and in front. And yet they missed Jesus. Everything we do has to be about faith. In fact, Paul writes in Romans 14, 23. But the one who has doubts is condemned if he eats because it did not proceed from faith. Everything that does not proceed from faith is sin. So the why matters your heart behind your actions matters your motivation matters if it's not from faith it's sin and what's he even talking about here he's talking about this argument about whether you could eat food that was sacrificed to idols and basically he says yeah there's you you can eat it it's lawful it's fine what god cleans let no man call unclean right he's calling back to peter's vision right but there are people who don't think that you should eat food offered to idols and yet still ate it? Well, that's sin. Because they didn't do it by faith. How about this? If you believe that God has called you during the season of Lent to not drink alcohol, let's say, that's a common thing to give up, or to not look at social media, and yet you do that, because you're not doing it with faith, it's sin. Not because alcohol is sin, not because social media is sin, but because you felt called by God to do something and you disobeyed. 
right? And so anything you do that's from that is sin. You might be like wrestling with a decision in your life, something you really, really want. And you're like, I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea. Well, why don't you ask God what he thinks? And then you can operate in faith. You can do what he wants you to do. Or if he says you choose, then you can do it with a clear conscience. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about when you don't ask God because you're afraid of what God would say and you do it anyway. That's sin. Because you did it without faith. You did a little end around on God. Right? Doesn't work. Faith is central. It keeps Christ and his righteousness first. I want to be like him. Anything you do with the faith that you want to do it like Jesus did it, you're in good shape. He'll get your attention if you're not. Hear and obey. Now, we're going to end here because it's time. And next week, we're going to talk about the enemies of faith. And you might be thinking the enemies of the faith, like all those bad people out there. No, I'm talking about fear and doubt and misplaced desire. That's what we're talking about next week. They are the enemies of our faith. But we're going to end with our collect this morning. The only way to know God, worship God, and obey God is by faith. And today we read, Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. Grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Peace, Lord, be always with you. And with, and with your, your spirit. Let us offer one another the peace. Then we'll do the prayers. <laughs> peace, Lord. Yeah, you said? No problem. In Christ and heirs according to the promise, let us bring our needs and those of others of the whole world before the God and Father of us all, that the church will be faithful to preach the whole word of God unashamedly. Lord, in your mercy, that the persecuted church will be strengthened by the grace of God and delivered from their oppressors. Lord, in your mercy, that men and women committed to knowing and doing the will of God will be raised up into positions of leadership at every level. Lord, in your mercy, that the Holy Spirit will abundantly pour out his gifts upon his people. Lord, in your mercy, that the Jewish people will profess Jesus as the Messiah, the one of whom Moses and the prophets spoke. Lord, in your mercy, 
that we will offer ourselves daily as a living and holy sacrifice to God. Lord, in your mercy, for our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Hear our prayer, open our understanding to the Scriptures, and lead us in the way everlasting. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. It's 5 to 6 p.m., but it is not this week because Father Pal is out of town right now. Oh, are you still having it? Okay, he says not this week, so, so we are still having it. Father Ed will be here to do catechism, so be there. Uh, women's meeting is 10 a.m. on the 20th, coming up this next week, and then we have Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, Feast of Our Lord and Giver of Life, uh, that is 121, and then we have Fire Night. If you've never been to Fire Night, you should come. That is awesome. A lot of worship. A lot of prayers, and uh, people are really, their, their lives are changed there. So on the 7th of February, we have our youth retreat. See Thomas Batterton for that. February 15th through the 18th, and uh, get your money in right away. And then finally, our convocation. You can uh, see it up there. We'll give out more details as we get closer. But it is uh, July 10th through the 14th. We look forward to having you there. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and make good your vows to the Most High. Ascribe to the Lord the honor due his name, bring offerings, and come into his courts. Let us with gladness present the offerings and oblations of our life and labor to the Lord.
lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For today you've received the mystery of our salvation in Christ as a light for the nations. And when he appeared in our mortal nature, you made us new by the glory of his immortal nature. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. sending down your spirit upon them so they may become for us the body and blood of your Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, a death he freely accepted, he took bread and gave you thanks and he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks and praise. He gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ is died. Christ is risen, and Christ Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. Humbly, we pray that partaking in the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love, together with our patriarch Craig, and all of our bishops and clergy. Remember especially those who are sick and firmed in spirit, soul, or body. 
Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken, and as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed and become the body of Christ to the world. Lord, have mercy on us all. Lord, you've made us worthy to share eternal life with the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Joseph, her husband, and with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who were called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. The gifts of God. For the people of God.
to have uh, our deacon from, one of our deacons from uh, the Henderson Church here, 
Father, I'm not Father, <laughs> Deacon Jeff Hunt. He's a dear friend of ours and uh, just one of the greatest examples of a servant of the Lord. Uh, so be sure and greet him and say hi to him. And uh, uh, Jay is with him. He's a good friend of mine too. He's probably one of my younger friends, but uh, a friend nevertheless. And uh, we're glad. We hope you guys really enjoyed being here with us. And uh, you'll come again. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world, seeking ruin of our souls. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Our help is in the name of the Lord. The maker of heaven and earth. Remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him. He loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. Best of all, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain be always. Amen.